Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. What's up and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 14th, week 14 behind us, week 15 in front of us, and that means it is the start of the fantasy football playoffs for like 99.95% of us. So let's get into it. Michael Beller here taking you through another Tuesday episode of TAFFP, and if you've been with us all season, you know that Tuesday means it is Beat Writer Day on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We kick things off on this episode with Joe Buscalia, Buffalo Buffalo Bills Beat Writer excuse me on the athletic joe what's going on man thanks for joining us oh thanks for having me and i'm sure uh we've got a couple of things to talk about with this bills team considering that they are <laughs> themselves in a playoff push let's just like a lot of the fantasy owners out there yeah that they're in a playoff push with about what like like also like 99.95 percent of the afc is uh yeah. in, a, in a playoff push it's a, it's everyone except for the bottom of the afc south and the jets Everyone else uh, <laughs> is here in a playoff push in this conference, and the Bills and fantasy managers alike could sure use a healthy Josh Allen in Week 15. It's early in the week, Tuesday morning as you and I are recording this, but what sort of update can you give us on Josh Allen's status for Week 15? Well, I think it's been mostly positive. Now, I'm sure a lot of people freaked out when they saw that Josh Allen was in a walking boot um, heading to his press conference, but a lot of times that is a precautionary measure. Um, he said that there was no way he was coming out of that game. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, he he's not re- he finished the game, so he's not really making too much of a big deal about it. But that's Josh. Then when we fast forwarded to Monday, when Sean McDermott spoke with reporters, uh, he called him day to day. Now I have to preface this with McDermott lingo and injury stuff. There are uh, two different designations, or actually three. There is uh, IR. And we know not to ask about that for a while. There's week to week, which which usually means that it's probably going to be a tough go uh, for that player to make it there. And then there's day to day, which means that player has a chance to play on Sunday. And so it seemed like McDermott was speaking a lot more optimistically about Josh Allen than how he has been with some other injured day to day players in the past. And he even said that. Allen has a chance to play. So knowing that they have the playoffs on the line and a home game against the Panthers, basically a must win at this point Mm -hmm. against the rest of the AFC, um, and knowing Josh Allen basically needing to be kept away from the field, I would anticipate that the Bills are cautiously optimistic that he can play on Sunday. Now, that being said, um, if he has some sort of setback in the, the week, I would advise fantasy owners to have a backup plan just in case but as long as he gets through clean and heck even if he doesn't practice I could see this team going you know what screw it just just let him get out there for the game rest himself until Sunday and then go from there 
Yeah, that like it, it, it's a very tricky position that they're in, right? Because you're you got the Bills sitting at seven and six, you got the Bengals and Browns at seven and six, and not leading their division. You've got the Colts at seven and six, and not leading their division. You've got the Broncos at seven and six, and not leading their division. You could say mm-hmm. that all these teams are very clearly in competition with one another, and the Bills are two back from the Patriots. And that that you know, if they're going to win the division, that one in Week 16 against the Patriots becomes obviously a must-win game for this team. So, I mean, how bad would it have to be? For Josh Allen, and I know you're probably speculating at this point. Yeah, but like, how bad do you, in just your in your know-how and knowledge of this team and, and this coaching staff and this training staff, how bad would it have to be for him to sit in what you said is really a must-win game for this team? Yeah, I think it would it would need to be um, to the point where if he has legitimate struggles moving laterally, because let's not forget this Bills offensive line is not exactly the greatest unit up yes. front. If he's having difficulties moving laterally and he's having pain that way, I think that would be the the major limitation for for them to be able to in good conscience to to go out and and start Josh Allen this weekend. But um, as long as that checks out, you know Josh Allen is going to give it the, the green light and the thumbs mm-hmm. up. Like that's that's just who he is, and and he wants to fight through every single injury, and they basically have to like you know, lock him out of the, the stadium <laughs> at that point. So uh, it, it would have to, it, it would have to be that he could be putting himself at risk for making the injury worse or putting himself at risk for other injuries. And I, I think th- whether or not he plays is a topic. And then the topic of, okay, how much of the actual Josh Allen is he going to mm-hmm. be with this foot sprain is another topic of conversation that fantasy owners have to consider as well. Yeah, that's something that uh, obviously we love him for what he does on the ground just as much as what he does through the air. And as we saw in the first half in that loss to the Buccaneers, offensive line in front of him, it's a problem right now. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're going to have to consider going into this game. I can tell you for sure that anyone who has Josh Allen will be starting Josh Allen without question, assuming that the Bills do. So it's something that we monitor closely all week long. And leaving that behind and jumping ahead to the other things that are going on with this team, that game against the Buccaneers was sort of like the season in microcosm for the Bills. First half, just ugly, ugly, ugly. Can't get anything going. Pressure on Josh Allen all half long. The second half, Looked like the Bills of 2020. Looked like the offense that uh, you know could potentially be, and when it's right, is still among the very best in the league. Uh, assuming we get a healthy or healthy enough Josh Allen this Sunday, what did the, what does this team take forward from that second half performance against the Buccaneers? As disappointing as the loss was, what do they take forward from that and put into the remainder of the season? I think you termed it perfectly. That was as close to the 2020 offense that that we've seen so far this year, and that's even considering that they went to Kansas City and and beat them pretty handily back in Week Five. I think for them, this is they've had a lot of wake up calls, but this might be like the final alarm that that you have to <laughs> you have to wake up to mm-hmm. when you're trying to get up early for a flight. Um, this is for them. They know what is at stake from this point forward, and. It really seemed like the word that I kept coming back to in my head after that game, when they were when they had the ball in their hands, it felt inevitable that they were going to move the ball down the field and score. And it has not felt like that really at any other point this season. And that was against a really stinking good Buccaneers defense. Mm-hmm. Like their pass rush was great. They were getting through a bunch. Josh Allen was making a, a bunch of people miss. So it's a two pronged situation because. 
you have Allen doing what he did, and now if he's unable to move as well as he is, then how much does that take away from the offense, especially when they can't run the ball with a running back or choose not to in this case? And and then you have the, the pressure coming at him. So I think for them, this is – moving forward, this is one of those weeks where I think we're going to see a big response up against this Panthers team. I would not be surprised if, if they go off – and in another blowout fashion because of, you know, all of the frustration leading up to this point and knowing what's on the line. This is a team that loves the whole underdog card. They thrive on it. It's been a McDermott thing forever, and they struggled to, to play with expectations before this. And now that their backs are up against the wall and they know that they can chase down the Patriots because if they win out, including a win over the Patriots, the Patriots lose one other game then the Bills win the AFC East and they win the division. It's that simple for them. It's that is within their control, at least for the most part. So yeah, I, I, I think this is a this is the final call for them to really get get their stuff in order. And whether or not they do it, um, we'll see. Uh, really on December twenty sixth in New England, but uh, but they should be able to roll against a Panthers team that's hurting right now. I want to ask you about Stefan Diggs for a second here. I, you know, he's having a quote bad season in comparison with what he did last year and what the expectations were for him in the fantasy world coming into this year. It certainly is not a bad season by actual measure. 78 catches, 972 yards, seven touchdowns through 13 games. That is an excellent wide receiver season for a 16 game season, let alone just for, through 13 games uh, that he has played to this point. And I think a lot of fantasy managers would actually be surprised to learn that the yards per catch are up for him this year compared with last year the yards per target however way down the catch rate way down as well uh is happenstance is there something going on here is there something with the way defenses are playing this offense this season that is leading to Diggs's relative lack of efficiency compared with what he did last season yeah I don't know that it has anything to do with Stefan Diggs but I do believe it has something to do with the two receivers that they've given the most snaps to um, up to this point at wide receiver besides Diggs, and that would be Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, at this point of his career, he is not winning against man-to-man coverage. That separation that was there last year is just not there this year. He's still good against zone, which is why we saw him kind of get into the mix against Tampa Bay this past week, this past weekend. And what do you have, like nine catches, I think, or something along those lines. He was a factor, but... Um, he his overall ineffectiveness against man defense has hurt them. And then Emmanuel Sanders went went off in the first five, six weeks, and he's been a complete non-factor since then. I don't think that it's necessarily a coincidence that the Bills were at their best on offense when Emmanuel Sanders was ruled out of the game with a knee injury and they put in Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis, for me, has been their second best receiver this year. He's improved as a route runner. Um, He's their second best against man-to-man coverage. He's their best deep threat. He's their best run-blocking wide receiver. And if... If anyone out there has read my Bill stuff over the past month and a half, it's it's basically had a Gabriel Davis section every <laughs> single time. Like this guy needs more snaps because he's getting somewhere between twenty five to forty percent, and it just doesn't make sense because he's he's that good. So I think his presence on the field will help. Dawson Knox uh, really coming into his own ha- has helped a bit. So now it's just a matter of if teams have to respect the deep ball with Gabriel Davis, then that I think is going to open things up a bit more for Stefan Diggs as long as uh, Josh Allen is okay and moving around and, and avoiding some pressure. 
All right, I always end these uh, interviews, Joe, with our beat writers asking for your expectations for the upcoming game. Obviously, it's a little bit different for you this time around because we don't know if it's going to be Josh Allen or Mitch Trubisky getting the start in Week 15 as you and I are sitting here recording this. But we're going to honor tradition and do it anyways. Your (laughs) expectations for a must-win Week 15 game for this team against a Panthers team that really is reeling at this point. Yeah, I, I think I think this you're going to see a big response from this Bills team this week, uh, and really, I, it depends on how many points they score based on who the quarterback is. Like if it's mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky, then I would expect a short, quick passing attack. But they also don't lose the element of mobility with sure. Trubisky, which helps uh, how Brian Dable wants to call his offensive plays. Um, Stefan Diggs, I think. We'll, we'll have a nice game in this one. Gabriel Davis being in the starting lineup is going to be huge for them, like I just alluded to, uh, because Emmanuel Sanders has most likely been ruled out based on what Sean McDermott said on Monday. So I, I think this this is a this is a big game, has big game potential for the wide receiver digs and certainly for uh, for Josh Allen as long as he can play. Because I, I don't this Panthers mm-hmm. team, I have to watch the film on him, but everything that I've seen from them. And I had a chance to watch the broadcast of it uh, before the, the Bills Bucks game. And it didn't look great for Carolina. <laughs> so I, I think there, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. They're uh, making the, the Falcons look like the Falcons of old when Kyle Shanahan was still oh, there and God, they were storming their way to, uh, to a Super Bowl. So definitely a downturn for this whole team and certainly the defense as well uh, in mm-hmm. Carolina. Fantasy managers going to have their fingers crossed all week long hoping that Josh Allen is indeed able to play. We know Joe, you will be on that for us at the Athletic. That's Joe Buscalia, Buffalo Bills beat writer for the Athletic. Get him on Twitter at Joe Buscalia. That's B U S C A G L I A. And also Bills fans, you probably already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Check out the Buffalo Beat, our Bills podcast at the Athletic. Joe, thanks so much for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Of course, thanks for having me. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, we move along now on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast to the San Francisco 49ers and Matt Barrows, beat writer for the 49ers here at the Athletic. Matt, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Well, this has been, I mean, what a what a team, what a fantasy team this has become in the second half of the season. And the key guy for this week in the fantasy world dates all the way back to week one when Raheem Mostert goes down with the knee injury. Eli Mitchell steps in in that game against the Lions. Everyone empties their fat budget to get him. And when he's been healthy, he's been great. Of course, that question of health has been here all season long. What court, What sort of status update can you give us on Eli Mitchell as early as it is in the week right now? Well, it is early. Um, Wednesday is always sort of the telling point. I thought it was a bit telling that, you know, they did some roster maneuvers over the weekend. Um, they bumped a guy named Brian Hill up to the uh, the active roster from the practice squad, but they didn't 
you know, it wasn't the official one. It wasn't the one where they give him a contract. It's the one where it's just a temporary bump up and then he goes down. That, to me, suggested that they thought Elijah Mitchell was going to be back this week. And uh, last week it was concussion plus a knee, uh, which kind of clouds it a little bit more. Um, The knee did not seem to be a serious issue. Uh, Concussions, you never know how long they're going to linger. Uh, But uh, I do expect to see him on Wednesday, maybe in a limited role. But uh, that's that's the question going forward. Not only is he back, but okay, is Jeff Wilson back enough that it's more of a rotation and they're not giving Elijah Mitchell uh, 30, 35 touches a game, which I know delights um, fantasy owners when he's in there. But it also usually means that he's out the following week or uh, a couple weeks after that. I don't know if that's sustainable. So I, I think the um, the plan going forth is to make Mitchell the starter, get him a solid number of carries, but to have Wilson in there kind of biting off a chunk of that. So uh, it's not a huge amount that this rookie is uh, is taking on. And still will delight fantasy managers for sure, given what he has done this season when he's been healthy, really just taking that exact Raheem Mostert mantle and, and doing his best Raheem Mostert impression when he's been out there this season. I think another factor here potentially, and you could uh, definitely put a finer point on this, Matt, is Debo Samuel the running back? Because his last four healthy games, five carries, eight carries, six carries, eight carries, five targets, two targets, four targets, one target. If you dropped an alien down from uh, the heavens five weeks ago and you showed him 49ers games, he would think that Debo Samuel is a running back, not a wide receiver. So how does this factor into the running back mix? And just how does it factor into Debo Samuel's expected touch total and style of touches we should expect from him going forward? Yeah, I, I you know, he's very much been um, a crutch for the running game. I mean, um, they like him more than whoever their, their number two and number three guys were for a long time. Now, I, I do think that Jeff Wilson is coming back enough from that knee injury. Remember, he suffered a pretty significant knee injury in May and was out until, you know, midseason. And then they brought him back, and they brought him back sooner than they wanted to. I mean, that this just kind of shows you how dire their running back situation was. And so it's taken him, you know, a month to, you know, have that injury in his rearview mirror and for his legs to get back uh, underneath him. I don't think he's still quite there yet. But he's closer. Uh, so I think that all of that kind of uh, mixes together. But whenever they feel insecurity or they feel like there's a weakness with that running game, they uh, they 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 tap uh, Debo Samuel, and and he's uh, he's stepped up. Um, and you're right. Uh, he not not only plays running back, he looks like a running back. He looks like a running back from from the waist down. He's got very thick legs. He does not mind running through the A gap, through the B gap which is something that wide receivers usually loathe to do. Uh, so, I mean, I think at the end of the day, his fantasy score um, is, is going to be, is always going to be good no matter, you know, where he lines up. But uh, I, I think um, he would rather, if he had his druthers, he would rather have two carries a game and get eight targets um, versus what's been happening. Because, uh, yeah, t- he's, he's had eight carries in... Uh, two of the last uh, four games, which are both uh, career highs for him, that ties his career high, and he scored 
in each of those, but um, it's sort of a neither here nor there. He's not a full-time running back. He's not a full-time wide receiver anymore. And I think he's starting to get a little bit leery of that. At one point, he was right behind Cooper Cup in the uh, receiving yardage ca- uh, category. He, he's he, he missed a game, but uh, he's been sliding down in, in, in recent weeks. It's been a totally different look from this offense over the second half of the season, and we've also seen them get healthy over the second half of the season. Really, I think you can almost date it to the first game that George Kittle was back. And they lost that game against Arizona, but Kittle had a monster of a game in that one. And it's just been a different look for this team when we've seen those four key guys for Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, those four being George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Eli Mitchell. Assuming Mitchell gets back this week, they have those four guys. And that's maybe also helped them let Samuel be more of a running back, getting both Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle out there. Uh, what has been different to your eyes, especially with that triumvirate of pass catchers, uh, Samuel, Kittle, and Ayuk? Well, I mean, uh, Kittle got hurt in week one. And uh, he was uh, a little bit gimpy in week one, and it got worse and worse uh, from that point forth to the point where he had to go on IR. So um, we really didn't see George Kittle uh, at the beginning of the season. And then he came back, and it's taken him a little bit of time to knock the rust off. But you're right. These last two g- games have been vintage George Kittle from a yak perspective. Um, and more importantly, I think from a target perspective. I mean, that was Jimmy Garoppolo's main guy against Seattle two weeks ago uh, or a week ago. And uh, he had 15 targets uh, on Sunday in, in Cincinnati. So, um, you know, with Debo Samuel having been out, Uh, It's been Kittle as the main guy, the main guy that Garoppolo is looking for, the main guy that they scheme to. So it's back to, you know, 2018, 2019 for George Kittle. So, you know, now this week when Debo Samuel ostensibly is healthy, um, really, this is the first time that that group has been at top form, I would say, all season. Because Ayuk, remember, was... Is he in the doghouse? Is he not in the doghouse? They were definitely sending a message to him about practice habits, and they weren't targeting him, and his snap counts weren't uh, up to snuff. You know that that first I don't know five games of the season. That's not a thing anymore. He's he's back in good graces. He had 11 targets on on Sunday. So all of these guys are at full steam, pass catcher wise. Um, with Juwan Jennings getting a few here and there. Um, and, and, and this week it, it becomes Mitchell as the lone question mark. But it, it's really a good question, you know, as far as the, the strength of this team and going into the playoffs. If, if all these guys are healthy, it, it, they won't have had that in the regular season, really. Uh, so uh, they're going to be the team that nobody wants to play if they do make it in. Absolutely. It's going to be the team that nobody wants to play. And right now, as things are laid out going into week 15, they are the sixth seed Arizona after that loss to the Rams dropped behind both the Packers and the Buccaneers to the three seed. And whoo, you talk about a round one playoff game where both teams could end up in the Super Bowl. Cardinals 49ers, that would be a hell of a matchup. Obviously, every team in the NFC is going to be trying to avoid the 49ers because of what they've been when they've been healthy. And they sort of put themselves on this island where maybe they're not quite those top five teams that we've had in the NFC all season long. Green Bay, Arizona, Tampa, 
Dallas, and the Rams, but they're clearly ahead of the other teams competing for the wildcard spots in the NFC. Teams like the Vikings and the Eagles and Washington and somehow like maybe Atlanta or New Orleans is going to sneak into one of those spots. Like the 49ers are on this island by themselves and they get a game this week against one of those teams that is still alive in the NFC, the Atlanta Falcons. What are your expectations for this matchup? Well, I mean, my expectations are that they beat the Atlanta Falcons, but uh, I had those ex- expectations in week 15 two years ago. The 49ers were a better team. The Falcons were a worse team. The 49ers had just come off just an absolute rousing victory over the Saints. That was that Jimmy Garoppolo, Drew Brees shootout in New Orleans. They come home, and they lay an egg against the Falcons, and the Falcons beat them. Bad Falcons. I think the Falcons ended up 5-11 and that year. My point being that the 49ers um, do really well, uh, surprisingly well, um, in Eastern time zone games. They're 10-1 and over the last three seasons. They're very mediocre uh, the, the first game back. I think the trip, you know, the trip's effects uh, are, are felt the following week at, at Levi Stadium. Um, and they have a lot of losses. Uh, you know, the Eagles last year, the Packers this year. Just kind of discombobulated, you know, sluggish, mistake prone. So they've got to figure that dynamic out. Or you know, this this is a better Falcons team than I think people are are giving uh, them credit for. You're talking about teams that get on a roll at the end and can surprise um, at uh, at the end of the season. I, I would put the Falcons in that category. 49ers are better than them, uh, more talented, so they should win. But this is the NFL, and um, I, I saw this exact this exact scenario play out two years ago. Uh, the same week, same stadium, same team. So we'll see what happens this time. Should be a fun one in the fantasy world with what the 49ers are putting out there when they get all their guys healthy. Eli Mitchell managers certainly have their fingers crossed and hope that they have him back this week. That is Matt Barrows, 49ers beat writer for us here at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Barrows. And also 49ers fans, Don't miss Here's the Catch, our 49ers podcast with Matt, David Lombardi, and Dennis Brown. Matt, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Anytime. Thanks for having me. One more beat writer joining us on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, and it is Michael Sean Dugar. Michael Sean covers the Seahawks for us here at the Athletic. Michael Sean, thanks for being with us today. No problem. All right, man, this is uh, the moment that we've been waiting for for almost four full seasons here. Rashad Penny time has it arrived. A huge game for the Seahawks in the win over the Texans last week. One big touchdown run when the game was still in question. One big touchdown run when the game was all decided. It all added up to a huge game, most productive game that we've seen from Rashad Penny really in his entire NFL career. Is there any reason to think he won't be the guy in the backfield for the Seahawks the rest of the way? Um, no, there's definitely no reason uh, to think that he'll go back to the pine. Um, like as long as he's healthy, um, which has been a big if, um, he'll 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 be the guy, especially with Chris Carson out and Alex Collins dealing with a groin injury that probably going to require surgery after the season. And Alex is just toughing and toughing through. Uh, I, I do got to pull back the curtain a little bit. I don't know how great I am at the fantasy advice when it comes to Seahawks players because one of my homies <laughs> from London, he texts me like the, the morning of the game and was like, "Hey, should I go with?" Um, one of the one of the t- t- Titans running backs, Hill- Hilliard, something with an H. Dontrell Hilliard. H- Hilliard, yeah. He was like, "Should I go with Hilliard or should I go with Penny?" I was like, "I don't know, man. I don't know if you should go with Penny today." And he was like, "You're right." And then, like five minutes before kickoff, he was like, "You know what?" He texted me all caps. He said, "I'm going with Penny." 
Um, oh, nice. And, and yeah, no, like he's a, <laughs> clearly a better GM than, than me, a guy who's in last place in two different leagues. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Rashad will have that type of day again just because Houston's run mm-hmm. defense is god awful. Right. But there, he will get the opportunities, I think. And when you talk about fantasy, you just want guys who will get the touches specifically mm-hmm. at the running back spot. Yeah, that is definitely true. And that's got him on the radar for the rest of the season to the point where it's likely that most people who have him will end up playing him, not just uh, your bud over there in London. Let's talk about Russell Wilson now for a second because uh, it feels like we saw the most Russ performance this past week since he's been back. How much of that do you attribute to just getting healthier and healthier from the finger injury that we all know he came back way earlier than expected from? How much of that is that bad Houston defense? What's the combination there? And and what's your outlook for Russ going forward? It's a little bit of everything. Houston's defense is, again, very bad. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like the the, one of those deep balls to Tyler, the touchdown one in, 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 in specific is just like a really bad example of corner play. Like, the corner played that very terribly and just let Tyler run right by him. No reroute, no nothing. And then the over-the-top safety was just – it was just a combination of just bad things. Um, but Russ – like, just look at the throw. It's money from Russ, which is mm-hmm. really important. You look at some of the other throws he made to Tyler and how on the goal line he went to DK, like, back-to-back plays. Like, uh, throwing to Gerald Everett on third down. Like, if you – I mean, even look at the Cardinals – excuse me, the 49ers game last week. You know, Russ should have had probably four touchdowns. You know, he throws that shovel pass to Gerald, that Gerald fumbles on the one, and then he throws a, a, what should have been a touchdown to Gerald in the end zone that Gerald not only drops, but he drops into an interception, which is like a huge, you know, swing in Russ's numbers. So I think he's been mm-hmm. back, quote unquote, for a little bit. The, the interesting thing with Russ is that healthy or not, he completes a lot of really difficult throws, you know, at a really high clip, you know, a, a stat like completion percentage over expectation. Uh, kind of measures that. It's one of those next-gen things. Russ usually leads the league in that because from the distance from where he throws it to the windows that he's throwing it in are just absurd. Right? And it's hard to sustain that. But when you hit him, God, when you hit him, you look like one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the league. So I think that you know this week he'll probably, against the Rams, he's going to have some of those you know tight window throws, those play-action deep shots to DK and Tyler. And when he hits those, he looks as good as anyone in the league. You know, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, Brady. Um, and when those aren't there, whether it's because of a drop or the protection isn't there or just a slight overthrow, then he can look very pedestrian. You know, I would lean towards the former um, just going forward just because I do think he's healthier. Um, and I do think they have some favorable matchups. You know, I think Arizona's defense is not the juggernaut that this, the numbers might say it is, even though their corners have been OK. They play the Bears and the Lions, you know, also on their schedule. So they should have their way with those defenses as well. Though the scariest one is this weekend. But um, uh, besides that, like if, you can, if you're in your fantasy playoffs and you can survive Russ having a mediocre day this week, he should be able to get you a championship you know, in, in the weeks after this. Yeah, definitely looking like one of those teams uh, with all the fantasy goodness that they have on it that could be factoring in in a huge way in these championship games coming up when you're looking at the Bears in Week 16, which now shapes up as the uh, fantasy football semifinals for most people with the added game, and then the Lions Week 17 championship week. Those are two very, very nice-looking matchups for this entire Seahawks team, and maybe... Maybe it happens this week, but maybe we have to wait till that week. Maybe this is something that can get DK Metcalf going because uh, it's been slow going for DK for, what, the last four or five weeks here. Uh, and even with Russ getting back and having the big game with Tyler Lockett in week 14, the production just wasn't there for DK Metcalf. Uh, to your eyes, what has been going on in terms of uh, Metcalf just not putting up the numbers that he's typically used to putting up? Yeah, and I think that the Houston's game, he, he hasn't scored in a couple games, but 
the Houston game was really a good example of just like the margins, right? So DK had uh, a touchdown negated by a holding penalty. Um, it's like clean touchdown negated. Right? There's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, he has a touchdown um, just in his hands. He beats Lonnie Johnson on a double move. Lonnie's beat so bad, the cornerback, that he holds DK. So then, boom, the play's negated. Again, that would have been a walk-in touchdown. Uh, on the very next snap, uh, he's open in the end zone again on a slant against Lonnie. Russ throws it behind him. Right? He would have walked into the end zone. And then uh, Russ throws him a jump ball um, in the back of the end zone. That It would have been an amazing catch if he'd have made it, but it was another end zone target that DK probably could have had another touchdown on. And then by the end of the game, he's like four carries or four touches for like 43. And you're like, damn, DK had a bad game. And if you're Russ, it's like, man, I was trying. You know, he probably rests his mind. It's like, I had to do him two touchdowns, basically, three almost. Um, and it just wasn't there. So I think th- that he's getting the opportunities, just like we were talking about with Penny. It- it'll come eventually. I mean, Russ, is- Russ threw one touchdown against the Rams uh, last time he played them, and it was to DK, you know, against Jalen Ramsey, you know, of all people, and in- I believe what was man coverage. So, um, and even the playoff game they lost last year to the Rams, DK had like two touchdowns. From Russ, so the, as as great as the Ram defense is, the one guy who can consistently score against them is currently constructed as DK Metcalf, and Russ knows that. The Rams know that, uh, but the more important thing is that Russ knows that. So uh, I do think he's caught some bad luck um, with some of these. Like one of the touch, one of the picks he threw against the Packers uh, was you know forcing it to DK against Kevin King. Like he's he's looking to DK, you know, with the exception of I think the Cardinals game, he didn't look to him much, but. He, he's trying, and yeah, again, in fantasy, you just want you just want the attempts, and DK is always mm-hmm. going to get them. I think. All right, well, let's look ahead to this matchup—a big game on both sides. Rams still very much alive for the NFC West title after their win over the Cardinals Monday Night Football in Week 14. Seahawks, meanwhile, hanging around the fringes of that NFC playoff race, and with those two uh, very favorable matchups coming up against the Bears and Seahawks, a win against the Rams would do wonders for this team's playoff hopes. What are your early expectations for this game in LA? Yeah, you know, there was something in me that. He- it's almost like you, you you almost take on the identity of the team you cover. Like after the game, they were like, yeah, we won two games in a row. We got this momentum. We're feeling good. We still got a chance. And then, you know, like I'm leaving the, the stadium uh, in Houston. And I'm like, you know, maybe they do. And then I, I get home and then I I look at, you know, I rewatch the game, look how bad Houston was. And then I watch the Monday night game and I see how like good the Rams front is on both sides of the ball. And I'm just like, you know what? These guys probably don't have a chance. Um <laughs> And the Seahawks really get blown out, like under Pete Carroll. The team that has blown them out more than once is the Rams. Like McVay has smoked Pete Carroll. He smoked him in 2017. He smoked him in 2019. He's the only coach to beat Pete Carroll in a playoff game in Seattle, which was last year. Um, and that's, you know, out of how many games, I don't know how much that is, but Sean's the only one to do it. Um, he's blown Pete Carroll out at home. He's blown Pete Carroll out on the road. He just has this guy. And I don't think it's because Sean's a genius and Pete's a dummy. I think it really comes down to the trenches. The Rams have been consistently better on both sides of the ball, whether they've had the you know the best left tackle in Andrew Whitworth or the best pass rusher in the league in Aaron Donald. They just consistently went up front. And as anyone will tell you, when you consistently are better than the other team up front, you are going to win. Like they were winning with Jared Goff, who was like objectively <laughs> awful. Why? Because they had they were winning up front. You know, so I think that unless Seattle plays quite literally the best game up front on both sides they have ever played outside of Super Bowl 48, then I, I think that they're they're in trouble against this Rams team simply because the trenches, it's so lopsided. 
win or lose, could be a very fun game in the fantasy world for the first round of the fantasy playoffs, which kick off here in week 15. That is Michael Sean Dugar, Seahawks beat writer at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar, D-U-G-A-R. And also Seahawks fans, I'm sure you know this already, but just in case, check out Seahawks Man to Man with Mike and Christopher Kidd, our Seahawks podcast at The Athletic. Mike, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Wow, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, we wrap up this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, as we always do every Tuesday, by opening up the Athletic Fantasy Sports Mailbag with Brandon Funston. Funston, what's going on, man? How you doing? Not too bad. I uh, In my, my money leagues, I'm in the playoffs in two of three, and I was the third highest scoring team, and the other one just, uh, you know... Luck bit me in that one, but I can't complain. So I'm feeling pretty good. I got uh, I got some Monday Night Miracles getting me into one of those leagues, so nice. uh, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Apropos of our discussion last week about using points as a ultimate tiebreaker, or not even a tiebreaker, as a determiner of a playoff spot. Yeah, it, that one's uh, going to be in the discussion for uh, you know pre-draft uh, changes uh-huh. because. Yeah, it's, it, I'm smarting from that not being in place right now. And, uh, of course, we'll put it in place, and that might end up biting me next year. You never yeah, and know. then next year you'll be the 6-8 uh, and eight <laughs> team that would have right. been the last seed but scored the ninth most points in the league, and you get bumped. <laughs> exactly. That's just yeah. that's how it goes. Careful that's what you wish goes. for. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we've got uh, some uh, commenters on Twitter and emailers wishing for us to answer their questions going into Week 15, so let's do it. First question comes to us on Twitter. From Ross B. Ross wants to know, going forward, do you like Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs better? Um, I think that's a it's a close enough call that that's a week by week basis. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you just decide I'm I'm going to play Josh Jacobs now ahead of Miles Sanders every week from here on out. I mean, looking at the schedule, I think uh, you know, Miles Sanders has Washington coming up and they've been one of the staunchest against the run. I think there's first or second in fewest yards allowed to the running back position on the ground. So, you know, I might go Josh Jacobs in that in that situation. And then you got the Giants for Miles Sanders a week after that. If he's healthy, I want Miles Sanders in there against the Giants. So um, I think they're close enough here that you're just going to have to play the matchup and play the health. You know, who's looking healthiest, who's in the best situation at the time. Don't looking at the, I don't think this is, behooves anybody to look at this from a three week at a glance right now and just say, this is my guy for all of those. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, there's really no reason to even decide. Right. I mean, this could be, this could be like a, it's not like we're talking about dropping or trading one of these guys. This could be uh, Jonathan Taylor versus Miles Sanders. And it would right. still, if, it, if it's an either or situation, you can take every either or situation week by week by week. So I, I agree with you there. And then more to the spirit of Ross's question, I'm with you that this really is. I mean, these are two, you know, solid running backs who get the lion's share of their team's carries, but are splitting somewhat and aren't really passing game options and are in up and down offenses. They're almost mirror images of one another, at least in terms of not in their style of play, but in terms of the the what they get on their teams and the offensive environment in which they are in. So yeah, I, 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 I would say that you really are looking there. at them like that. Like if Josh Jacobs is a little bit more c- cemented into a higher volume role, Miles Sanders is a little more in a better like environment for running the football. Philadelphia's mm-hmm. been really good at running the football yep. since they decided Very good to go offensive line this season. Yeah, so there's some trade offs there. I think in the end they basically land about in the same spot. 
Yep. So we're going to be taking this one week by week with you, Ross. Hopefully you can go week by week, and that means you advance to week 16 and week 17. And there you go. You can make this Miles Sanders versus Josh Jacobs decision three times. Might not be comfortable making it three times, but if you make it three times, you're playing for a fantasy championship. So definitely a problem worth having. Another question from John C. This one coming to us in the email inbox. And as always, tafantasysports at gmail.com if you want to get involved in next week's episode. John asks, Rashad Penny or Tony Pollard in week 15? A little early for uh, start-sit questions, but this is a pretty straightforward one that we could already have something of an opinion on it. What do you got, Funston? Yeah, I've gone uh, – I'm going around on this one, vacillating a little bit, but, you know, Tony Tony Pollard has a has a torn plantar fascia. I mean, that just sounds not good. It sounds – you know, the, the report is he needs to tear it all the way through, and then it'll actually feel better. Fun. But, that sounds fun. Yeah, to me this this sounds like oh, this foot hurts mid game. I think I'm going to sit the rest of the game out. Uh, you know, so I think right now as I'm thinking about it, I'm leaning Rashad Penny. Although the Seattle and that offensive line have had nightmares against the Los Angeles Rams defensive front, I don't have a strong feeling for Rashad Penny. I guess if we get to the end of the week, Tony Pollard's went through a bunch of full practices and is saying all the right things. I might go back to Tony Pollard against the New York Giants who have not been good against the run at all. Wouldn't be a shock if the Cowboys made this decision for our emailer, John, here, right? With yeah. the Cow- I mean, yeah. they're not going to come out and say it uh, <laughs> out into the world, right. but the Cowboys know that you know Tony Pollard, likely not the difference maker for them against the Giants. This should be a game they should handle with or without <laughs> Pollard. And yeah. so maybe they just say, Let's take it easy for at least one more week, and let's see where you are going into week 16. If both these guys are healthy, I think I would need to see a number of full practices from Tony Pollard. Uh, as you said, it's, it, you're worried about the Los Angeles Rams front. James Conner did have a nice game against them yesterday, although he did a lot of that as a pass catcher. Not sure what Rashad Penny will do as a pass catcher for the Seahawks, but either way, you're concerned about that front, but Penny should be the guy for the Seahawks for, for the remainder of the season. We talked about this with Jake on Monday's episode, so I'm going to follow that volume and trust Penny almost certainly uh, as the guy here over Tony Pollard. But thank you for your question, John. Another question we've got to us in the email inbox from Duncan. Duncan says, I've got a roster spot to play with this week. Any defense is worth stashing for week 16 and or 17? Well, if Miami's out there, we talked about them previously in this in this segment. Uh, they're getting the Jets this week, so they wouldn't even have to be a stash. They could be a mm-hmm. play, but you have a bye. So, you know, you wouldn't use them this week. But you get New Orleans and Tennessee. And, you know, those are decent matchups. Tyson Hill, a couple weeks away from throwing four interceptions. Uh, there's not a lot. Other than Alvin Kamara, there's not a lot to worry about with that offense. Well, I guess Taysom Hill as well. But there's some volatility to it. And uh, Tennessee, the same. Not a whole lot of difference making offensive players there so i think they're in play as a as a decent defense pickup i think philadelphia they get the giants at home and then they get at washington in week 17 that's not a bad play and honestly i'll just throw out my seattle seahawks they they get chicago and detroit and you know they haven't been the best matchup i mean haven't been the best defense week in a week out but they've been they've been playing better and you know it's sometimes it's just about the matchup uh, and any defense can look good, and I think the Seattle Seahawks can look good in those matchups against those two NFC North opponents. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed all the ones that we'd really be looking at for looking ahead and looking ahead to multiple weeks. Those are the teams that are going to jump out at you. I mean, you said, like, the Seahawks, so much of defense that we talk about in the fantasy world is really about fading offenses, not about targeting right. good defenses. And those matchups against the the Bears and the Lions in Week 16 and 17 – 
could definitely serve the Seahawks very well. So if I was really looking ahead to that, that's probably the first one I would go to. Some of the better, quote, defenses just don't have necessarily the greatest matchups among teams that are available. Like, you know, Cleveland's defense is pretty awesome, but do you really want to trot them out there in Week 16 against the Packers in Lambeau? Of course you don't. You're not going to want to play them at all. And maybe you would think about coming back to him week 17 against the Steelers, but we got to think about week 16 before we can get to week 17. So that's true for a lot of the better defenses that are more widely available in fantasy leagues. So the ones that you mentioned, Funston, probably the same ones that I would be thinking about as well. We've got one more question here. This one comes to us from Michael J. And this is something that we talked about a little bit on Monday's episode of this show uh, in relation to Lamar Jackson. But now we've got Josh Allen potentially to think about here. Michael says, I've been riding Josh Allen as the lone QB on my roster all year. I need a contingency plan for week 15, although as we talked about with Joe Buscalia earlier on the show, hopefully you won't need that plan. Who are your top three QB streamers, Funston, for week 15? Well, we talked about it uh, yesterday. I think I threw out Tua as my number one guy against the Jets, um, and he's in that like 30% roster ship uh, um, percentage in, in, in Yahoo, and same with Jimmy Garoppolo going against Atlanta, and then Ben Roethlisberger going against Tennessee. The other one I forgot to check on the roster uh, percentage is uh, Justin Fields. Going to get a mm-hmm. Monday night game against Minnesota, and I actually would think, given how much he's consistently running now, I might even put him at the top of this list. Oh, if wow. He's, uh, at, least, at least no worse than behind Tua because of just the, the floor that's provided with the rushing, and Minnesota has been a team that you have been able to throw the ball on. Yeah, he um, yeah, 74 rushing yards in that loss to the Packers on Sunday night football. And so he definitely is on the radar. I think of all those guys that you mentioned, you know, those are the guys who I'm looking at, too. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out who we're looking at. It more takes someone to rank that group. And I would go to Jimmy Garoppolo first, I think. You know, this has just been, as again, as we talked about earlier with Matt Barrows on this show, it's a different offense when everyone's healthy. Mm-hmm. When you've got Mitchell and Debo and Kittle and Ayuk out there, it's a different offense. And we've seen very little little of that this season we didn't see it last week because Eli Mitchell was out and it sounds like Eli Mitchell maybe is going to get back for them against the Falcons this week and it's a totally different group when you have all those guys available and Jimmy can you know game manage his way to still a very productive game when he has all of those guys available to him sort of reminds me of you know Jared Goff in the Rams Super Bowl year if you take one thing away it's a house of cards and it topples but as long as everything's there it feels like We've you know super glued that house of cards together, and it's not really going to fall over. Uh, so I, I like Jimmy the best out of that group, and I think the best thing about Jimmy also Funston is that if this ends up being a longer absence for Josh Allen, which again it might not even be an absence at all, but if it somehow becomes a long absence, or if we're talking to Lamar managers and it's a longer absence for him, then it looks like it's going to be right now at Tennessee in Week 16, Houston in Week 17. Jimmy Garoppolo is usable for multiple weeks here. Yeah, and he's in. You know, no matter how I rank them, I think I, if I'm ranking on floor, I'd probably rank Garoppolo at the top because I just think with yeah. Kittle going, Debo there, and Ayuk, uh, if they have that running game going in place, I think he's probably the, got the safest floor for getting you a couple touchdowns, you know, mid 200 yards, and just feeling like that's somewhat of a certainty, you know. Um, obviously, it's any any given Sunday, but I would feel maybe the safest that he would give you a a level of production that you could live with. Yeah, don't think he'll be uh, pillaring or destroying your fantasy team. That is for sure. We're going to close up the mailbag. We're going to close up shop for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, thanks to our beat writers also for joining us. Joe Buscalia, Matt Barrows, and Michael Sean Dugar. For Funston, I'm Michael Beller. We'll talk to you all soon. See you later.